Hey everybody, welcome to episode 216 of the Running Rogue podcast, my first episode in 2020 and I am excited to be back with you recording fresh content as we head into the new year. For this episode, I've got special guest James Dodds joining me. He, of course, has been on the show many times before and is a fellow coach with Rogue Running and of course, he coaches the Renegades podcast training group with me right now. So I'm excited to bring James on. We've got a couple of things to get to. So I'll keep this intro short, but we'll first talk about the two-month break that I took and why I took it. I want to kind of open up and tell you exactly what was going on with my life during those two months and what I learned during that time. And then we'll talk about 2021 and what to expect from racing in this still uncertain year and how you might be thinking about your training as you step into the new year with a few basic tips for that. So we're going to jump right in. We'll keep this intro short so we can jump right in with James as he tees up questions for me about the end of 2020. And then we talk about the new year. So here we go with James Dots. All right, everyone excited now to welcome James to the conversation as we dig into the end of 2020 for me and talk about what's new and what's coming and how to think about 2021. James, welcome to the show. Excited to have you. Thank you. I am excited to be here as always. Yes. Good. It'll be good to catch up because we haven't honestly really caught up that much in the last couple of months (laughs) and we saved it all for the recording. So you'll get to hear us kind of go back and forth a little bit, but I wanted to, as I mentioned in the intro, divide this conversation into a couple of parts. One, just wanted to update you on the last couple of months of the year for me as I took my break from the podcast and from Rogue, tell you a little bit about the things that I learned as a part of that journey. And then the second part, I want to talk about some lessons to think about for 2021, both as it relates to just life, as well as, of course, training in 2021, which still remains a little bit tricky given the uncertainty that we still have. So we'll get to that in the latter half of the discussion. And so James, let's jump in. I want to start just by giving people a brief overview of, of why I took the break that I took. I know I gave you a little bit of one in my final podcast before I stepped away in November, but I wanted to give you more context and be as open as I can be about what I was going through. And then James has got some questions for me so that we can dig into that a little bit more. But for me, if I could summarize in one word what I was feeling as I stepped away back in late October, early November was just simply burnout. I was feeling the effects of burnout in full force as it relates to everything that I was doing from a work perspective. And the reason I knew that, well, there's a lot of things that I think I led to that, but the reason I knew that is because of two fundamental realizations at the time. So I was feeling two things that really pointed to having that thing we call burnout, which is one, I was I felt like for the first time in in 10 years of pursuing my passion for running through rope that it actually felt like a job, that felt like work. And I don't think there was any one reason for that. It was something that was perhaps building for some time, but I had never in 10 years of my involvement with Rogue work woken up to feeling like I had to go to a job and was starting to feel that 
for the first time, which wasn't a good feeling, and it was preventing me from putting my best foot forward. But also, the second thing was simultaneous to feeling that way. I also knew that this is something I'm extremely passionate about. And if I reflected on the reasons why I do what I do, that spark would show up in my heart as to the reasons why I believe in what we do. And so I knew that I still loved it, but was having trouble showing it. And so that in itself, in and of itself creates a tension internally, but but also there's that friction of wanting to show it and wanting to be able to give everything to the passion that I have for this, but but feeling like I wasn't able for whatever reason. And so that created this internal friction that was just really hard. And I'd been dealing with it for a couple of months before I finally, through a series of events, realized that I needed to do something about it. And ultimately decided, my gut told me that through that feeling of burnout that I needed to simply take a break to step away, to refresh and recharge so that I could come back and bring everything that I've been bringing to the table for a long time and and live that passion effortlessly. And so that was the goal of the break is to kind of reset and, and kind of clear the system so that I could come back strong and excited again. And I can say that I, I am, (laughs) I'm here, I'm excited. I've got that passion. I'm not dreading, you know, getting into this and, and I'm excited to be back, frankly, and excited to get back into our community, especially. So ultimately, that's what I was feeling. Ultimately, that's why I stepped away. And I really did it completely. You know, I, I, I handed off all of my rogue duties, including all my coaching duties. And I also deleted my social media apps, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, so that I wouldn't be tempted or exposed to look at something and and just stepped away and really tried to focus on me and and my family and just kind of finding that passion again. I love that. And first I've got to say like kudos because 10 years um no one's going to fault you for that. And we've had I mean I've been a part of the journey in some form or fashion. So I've been able to be a witness, whether at times it was just as your friend, sometimes as an employee, sometimes as a coach in the organization, but I've been around and we've had some highs and lows and there is nothing. Here's the one thing you could say about rogue and the rogue community. It's like a fire. It burns hot. It is a passionate, uh, exciting, uh, you know, a community for lack of better. I was going to say organization or like entity, but it's like, Rogue is dynamic. It's big. It, there's a ton of passion. And so while that's the beauty of it, that can also be hard at times because when things go bad, they're passionately bad. So to carry the torch for 10 years is uh, without a break really um, is a lot. So now I'm personally excited to unpack this with you because um, I didn't I didn't text you. I, I tried my best. There were times just as a friend, I wanted to be like, what's up? But I, I knew that if you did the sabbatical half-hearted, then I was, I feared you would come back, you know, with half-hearted results. So um, you sounds like you answered the first question. You, you said you are excited to be back. So um, tell us like, how'd you spend your time? Like, well, I want to know just even format first before we get into like big concepts, like 
What, what did it look like for you? Was it free flow? Was it structured? Did you have books? What were you, what were you doing? So before we get to that, one other thing I want to mention that I think was a contributor to what I was feeling was the fact that I was injured myself and not able to run the way I wanted to run. And I think there was a little bit of a catch 22 happening of a psychosomatic component of my injury in a sense that I had this nerve issue that I was dealing with in my heel that just wouldn't heal. And that was preventing me from running the way I wanted to in a sense that I was running some, but it was painful and it had become in its own way, my activity of running the thing that I love to do as an outlet for life and as a way to connect to our community, it had become a negative in my life as well because it was painful and I couldn't figure out how to make it better. And so I think that was also something that contributed in a sense that I didn't have my normal outlet for, for release, for stress, for connecting to what I do myself. And a big part of my, you know, I think motivation as a coach is living, leading and living by example. And I didn't have that. I lost that. And so it also, I think contributed to the feelings that I was feeling. And in many ways, I think I needed to step away so I could fully heal so that I could come back strong. I'm happy to report I'm running again. I'm certainly not back to where I was, but I'm running pain-free, building my miles, starting to, I'm going to add my, starting to add workouts tomorrow, going to Team Rogue for the first time and in, gosh, probably five months. And so I'm excited about that as well. But I do think that was a contributor and I'm not sure if I would have ended up in the same place had I had that outlet um, before I stepped away. So that's another note. But in, term, in terms of my time spent, I, I didn't want it to be too structured intentionally. You know, I wanted to be able to really freely kind of pursue what I wanted to pursue in that break without having structure because I felt like structure would have made it feel like too much work in and of itself, like working through this sort of feeling of burnout. So it was an intentionally very unstructured period of time for me, although I did know that you know, I didn't want it to just be completely casual. I didn't want it to be to a point of not doing anything or not having a plan. And so without having a plan, I did spend a lot of time in the early weeks just thinking about the things that I wanted to accomplish and do during the time off, you know, and my, my filter for that list was that it needed to be things that would excite me or that would get me motivation or that would be easy to do. And so I, I, I wanted to eliminate and, and not do the things that I wasn't excited about and or that might feel like a burden and really just try to let my mind wander towards the things that would be exciting and or interesting and or that would relieve stress or kind of give me a, 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 an outlet for relaxation. And so those are the things that I really started to focus on. And so in that first week, I remember, and I've got it in front of me here somewhere, I, I just made a list of things that I wanted to, to really kind of focus on or do, not necessarily as a rigid checklist, but as something that I wanted to you know, use as an outlet during the time away. And so 
you know, I'll, I'll actually just read from the list. And this again was just sort of free form thought process that, I, but I wrote down, I, I wrote down routine journal, get outside, disconnect, breathe, return to first principles, laugh, get some work done. And by work in that case, I meant some, I, I meant some things around the house that needed to get done chores, so to speak, but that have been on my mind to kind of get done. And that would create space for me, you know, by clearing away a to-do list of items that I maybe want to get rid of, read, and then have lunch with a few people that I know I wanted to connect with during the time away. And so, you know, pretty straightforward list and there was nothing rigorous about it, but I did want to make sure that it wasn't just completely unstructured time. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it, they're they're kind of general too, like leading you in a direction. So it's like you didn't know where you're going to go, but you knew how to get there. Um, so yeah, I like what's oh, go ahead. Well, and I was just going to add that one thing I realized. I, you know, the first week to week and a half, I, I probably I spent a lot of time researching burnout. Mm-hmm. Listened to several podcasts on it, read the book Passion Paradox by Steve Magnus and Brad Stolberg, which covers at least a part of it, kind of covers burnout. And so so I was also just had some things swirling in my head, advice from those different books and from experts that had that were dealing with this topic that were kind of swirling in my head as well. But one thing that I particularly, one thing I quickly realized though, is that some of those maybe traditional outlets that I was getting recommendations from some of the research weren't necessarily what I needed or felt like I needed. And so I also realized that, you know, I could pick and choose from that list, but that I ultimately had to make my own path. Yeah. You had said one of them was first principles. What did you mean by that? And I'm sure, I'm curious if you can share some of your first principles. So for me, that meant remembering why I do what I do and remembering why I love move, running as my movement practice. And this is advice I give to anybody who's struggling with motivation as a coach. I, I always say, go back to first principles. Why do you do this? Remember why you started Go back to your roots in the sport. Go back to your roots in this passion. And so I also wanted to spend time reflecting on and frankly doing some of the things that drew me here in the first place. And so that's what I meant. Yeah. Can you share some of the reasons (laughs) why you love running? In coaching specifically, I mean, you talked a little bit in the intro, but I'm curious like what yours specifically are. My mind is swirling a bit because there's definitely two, two maybe is oversimplifying, but there's two areas to think about there. One is why do I coach? Why do I do what I do for, with Rogue? And the other is why do I run myself? Why do I pursue this as a personal movement practice? And those things have, those two areas have a lot of overlap, but they are, you know, they are distinct in my head. And so on the coaching side, you know, the, big reason why I do what I do. And, and that extends to all ways that I coach, not just those athletes that I can interact with in my groups, but also obviously to 
how I connect with people through this podcast, but I do it because I believe that running as a movement practice is a vehicle for life change. And, and I'm not talking about little changes, even though those things happen too, I'm talking about big life change. And, and if you pursue this movement practice through the ways that we do it by challenging yourself, pushing yourself, trying to achieve big goals, I believe that it's a life-changing pursuit. And the reason why I coach is because of that, because I like to be a facilitator of life change and help other people change, improve, make themselves better through this sport of ours. And so part of my path there in reflection, at least during this time, was just to remember those athletes, those people that have been affected not necessarily through me directly, but by what we do through Rogue in positive ways, you know, in in life change sort of ways that come obviously through the running, but then extend well beyond. And so I spent a lot of time reflecting on that and using that as a source of rebuilding that fire and passion. And then on the running side, it was, you know, kind of back to the basics on, look, I just need to move pain-free, right? and get back to being able to just go for a three, four, five mile run and not hurt. And so returning to first principles there, you know, meant loving movement for the sake of movement and doing, you know, doing the things that I could pain free in whatever increments that I could so that I could then use that as a foundation to build more pain free running instead of trying to force it or or worry too much about where my fitness had come or gone. And so back to the basics there was not only practical in terms of the actual steps, but also just reflecting on you know the reasons why I do this, which is for my own ability to have an outlet, but also push myself and improve internally as well i love that um it, it's like uh, becoming grounded and going back to your original principles or your first principles i'm also curious though if in this time there's things that like epiphanies that came to you that you by no means expected like ha- have have there been any any unexpected <laughs> i don't want to use the word revelations because i know i can like that can sound kooky and woo woo but you know just as far as like epiphanies are concerned or you know, things that might, you feel like might not have come to you had you not created space for them to like really float through your mind and process. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I think one thing that I learned during this couple of months is that one of the things I was feeling, one of the tensions I was feeling was not having mind space to be creative, to explore, to think of new things, to be challenged and mentally in new ways because I'd gotten myself. And again, this isn't, I'm not asking for sympathy or, you know, I'm not playing the victim here. You know, a lot of, I think where I was, was all on me is I had created this list of to do's and this cycle of content creation through the podcast that I was doing, through the emails, through all the elements and ways I was interacting with others that had shut down 
that that filled my mind and it in a way shut down this pathway for creativity for new ideas for new mental challenges to come in and so part of the tension i was feeling was not having that freshness of mind and or ways to pursue new thoughts new ideas and so one of the things i i realized pretty quickly within the first couple of weeks is that I needed to get back to just that pathway of intellectual curiosity that may or may not be structured or guided and let myself wander to new topics and categories of thought that may be directly correlated to what I do here and may not be, but that could at some point spin back in a way that is unexpected, right? Mm -hmm. And so I started to you know, initially I was reading a lot about burnout. Well, then my reading practice started moving towards just topics that I was interested in that might be related to running, but might not be. And so I went down, for example, I went down this rabbit hole of, rabbit hole is a good word for it because I got pretty deep, but this rabbit hole on neurological activation and muscle activation because I've been dealing with this nerve issue I actually had on the podcast, you know, a PT right before I, I took a break who said that chronic pain is in our head mm-hmm. and isn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean something is physically wrong. And I think what was going on with my heel issue, that nerve, the actual source of the problem was gone, but the nerve pain remained because my nerve nervous system had been programmed to believe something was wrong. And it was just a matter of having to tell it that it was okay. And so, and by the way, related to that, I was starting to have a knee pain and ultimately found out by seeing a PT that was because my glutes and quads had deactivated to essentially guard my heel pain. And that was then causing a weird motion in my leg that was giving me knee pain. So it was all kind of spiraling. And so I wanted to figure out what was going on there. You know, what was happening with muscle activation and nervous system activation that tied to the brain and how that all works. So I found this really interesting practice of, of thought and movement called somatic healing, which has some woo-woo elements too, but is also just a philosophy on movement and creating space for healing in the body that I had never heard about or uncovered at all and actually has some really relevant elements to it for, I think, healing and coaching related to running. And so went down that path, read a couple of books in that world that I think are really interesting and one that actually really helped me I think, deal with my heel issues. And so I, I, through that, you know, practice of just pursuing curiosity, I started to then, you know, tap into other, you know, connections that would excite me. And then, so then my brain started clicking again into new ideas and new challenges and, and it all kind of came to head ironically, by watching a Taylor Swift documentary. I don't think I've told you this. But <laughs> oh, I, pray I, tell. Yeah, but I was watching, there's a, a Disney Plus documentary by Taylor Swift about her album that she released over the summer called Folklore. 
It's an album album that she recorded entirely in the pandemic, and she she created a makeshift studio in her house to do it. And this documentary was recorded actually in September after she'd released the album, and she was talking about with her co-writer and her producer about the origin and the meaning of each song. And then she would play it on the documentary. And I I don't, to me, I'm not a, a, a Swifty <laughs> in a sense that, you know, I'm not diehard Taylor Swift music fan, but I am a fan of genius and of studying genius. And I think regardless of what you think about her music, I think she's a lyrical genius. And so watching how her mind worked through this documentary sparked also this other series of ideas of things that I can do related to running and coaching content that I won't talk about now because I'm, you know, things are in the works on it, but that just started to excite me again. That gave me a place of sort of fresh ideas and newness that I had been missing because I was so deep in just getting out that next podcast or getting out that next email or getting out that next message. Yeah, um, I can sense the passion in you. And if we're telling secrets, you know, I've watched a Taylor Swift documentary <laughs> myself, but I did it in the name of love. Um, <laughs> but I respect you either way. And I know Amy loves Taylor Swift. Yeah. Um, how about the converse? So like, I mean, that, that that's awesome that it's like opening up curiosity. I think curiosity and hope, or I watched Ted Lasso over uh, quarantine whenever it came out. And there's an episode actually called, that's called like, it's the hope that kills. And they're talking about this concept of like, the whole community sort of not wanting to have hope because I guess when, you know, you get your hopes up and you experience something negative, um, then, um, you know, it kills, like it's painful. And so it's the fear of that pain that a lot of people like limit hope in their life. And then therefore I think in the same way, like creative outlets, they won't embrace them because they can't predict it. And it's interesting as we get older, especially as men, I think we will like close off and sort of like we, we, we operate in this space like where it's sort of like, well, if I can't predict it and I didn't know exactly what I was going to get out of it, why would I even take that action? So I'm glad that you're um, embracing that. You know, uh, I think teenagers are a little more likely to do it than uh, grown men. So, yeah, as a part of that, I mean, I, I watched actually Ted Lasso too during the, the two months off. Really highly recommend it. You know, it's about, for those that don't know, the premise. It's about a Premier League soccer team in the UK. And even if you're not a soccer fan, I think you'd still like it because the premise is that this coach who is a sort of, you know, semi-mediocre football coach from the U.S. gets hired to coach a Premier League soccer team in the UK as a means for revenge, essentially, to tank the team. And it ends up, you know having a plot twist but the thing i liked about ted lasso is not only that idea of hope but also just that you can laugh and have fun and and be playful at the same time even in a serious environment and so that was a good reminder for me and i said i wrote down in that list i told you about earlier just laugh you know just laugh and i spent a little bit of my break digging into comedy specials and watching Jim Gaffigan, who's a comedian, YouTube clips, just just to laugh and just to remember that, you know what, in a very heavy year where a lot was going down, I think I'd lost a little bit of just humor and fun. And so it was fun 
to just have some lighter moments to during the break. And I think that's a good lesson is that we can't forget even through tough times or seemingly hopeless situations just to laugh. Yeah. I love that. You know, we talked about like, sort of like maybe getting a, an epiphany that you didn't expect. What about the opposite? Did you come in wanting and expecting anything that sort of fell flat? Like, was there anything along the way um, that you, you just sort of like, well, I expected X, but I've, uh, it just is what it is. And I'm moving on. <laughs> I, I think that, I mean, that's a tough question to answer. I think in a sense, I'm still processing, mm-hmm. but you know, I guess as I think about it, I, in many ways, you're looking for this grand aha moment by taking a break like I took. And that, that wasn't what I got, you know, mm-hmm. like there was no, I mean, yeah, I had some ideas and epiphanies and, and related to the Taylor Swift documentary. One of the things she said in there that really hit me was she was talking about as a, how as an artist, she's had t- times when it's been hard for whatever reason. And I know nobody's feeling sorry for Taylor Swift because she's had it pretty good, but I could imagine that there have been ups and downs in her career where sometimes she's like, it's hard. And I felt at times I didn't know if I could keep doing this, but then with this album and she was talking about it in that context with this album, everything was easy. It was like, I couldn't help, but put out this amazing music. And I was on that high and on riding that roller coaster and embracing it. And so that was for me also a bit of an aha to say, look, you know, we're going to have tough times, but also just have faith that those easy times when everything seems to be clicking, you're going to be there too. And even somebody like Taylor Swift experiences those, those elements of a roller coaster. But beyond that, I mean, I, yeah, I thought maybe there would be some massive epiphany where I could say, Oh, well, here was a solution to my problem. You know, now I can give you that list of three things that you can do to avoid being where I was or to perhaps learn from my experience. And I don't know that I have that necessarily. You know, I can point to things that I learned and and I can say, you know, these are the things that helped me and these are some insight that I had, but there's no grand, in my opinion, there's no grand aha. There's mm-hmm. no book that I can write to solve this for anybody. And and yet I think part of that uh, that realization is mixed in a sense that there is no big aha. <laughs> you know, it's it's simple. And it's, it is going back to first principles that is important. It's not some grand thing. There's no, there's no insight that you need to find or seek. And it's really just, it's about the basics and, and sticking and getting back to those. And that isn't grandiose or, you know, that isn't a major epiphany, but it's true. Yeah, I appreciate that answer actually quite a bit because I do think sometimes there's a, a pressure to to build a narrative, um, you know, while you're trying to live it. And like you said, you're still processing it. So in some ways you have your immediate takeaways that you're able to discuss now, but I'm sure you'll have like a, a six-week epiphany, a six-month epiphany, a six-year epiphany. And I'm obviously making that up, but it's like 
you took the time, you got back in touch with some of these first principles. Um, you have the rest that you needed and sort of the ability to come back with excitement and joy and energy. Um, so yeah, I'm sure it'll keep teaching you even beyond the shut off of like, all right, I put X weeks in timeout and now I'm, I'm back on the grind. So I appreciate that. And I, I imagine it'll continue to unfold for you. Um, you had mentioned that like routine was also part of it. So we just kind of unpack some of this free flow stuff, this creative component, <laughs> uh, epiphanies that might be coming to you, grand ahas that maybe didn't come to you. What about, um, I'm curious both the mix up of like, what was still normal? Cause you know, you're a father and a husband. Um, so I'm, I imagine there was some like normal routine stuff that di just didn't change. And then you mentioned routine was one of your goals. So I'm curious which pieces you man manufactured, what was kind of new in here versus what was yeah the old mix up the the main thing with routine that i wanted to make sure i watched was that i had a daily routine that was loosely structured particularly around waking up and going to bed because as a night owl i know that in in times of unstructured periods of my life it's easy for me to shift my day from waking up at whenever six or if i'm coaching 4:45, you know going to bed at 10 30 which is sort of about normal for me as a night owl to then going to bed at one or two in the morning and waking up at nine or ten that has happened to me before during periods of unstructured time and i didn't want that to happen for a couple of reasons one because i didn't want to get too out of like normal routine as it syncs up with my normal day but also because my family, that wouldn't have been good for them, you know, to be on a weird schedule. I, I wanted to avoid that. And so my days were loosely structured in a sense that I'd wake up. I was sleeping more and really focused on that. So I'd wake up about seven, you know, kind of get going with a run. Typically I was running at the time I started this probably four or five days a week, just really short was all I could at the time. And so I would get up about seven, go for a run, typically between 7.30 and eight, I would start and then come back from that, kind of get showered, start my day by check checking in with my kids who were doing virtual schooling and also getting their lunches ready because they had particularly early lunch during virtual schooling. And so my mornings were kind of covered with those things, pretty loose. Afternoons, I typically were, were spaces for me to explore. And so my kids typically would be on Zooms. And so I could get away from them a bit. And that's when I would do my reading time, dig into topics that were interesting, whatever, watch videos, if that's what got me going on a particular day. And then, you know, and then I would dive into uh, getting ready for the evening, typically starting with some kind of afternoon activity with my kids. Once they got done with their schooling, we would go do something. We would go for a little family jog sometime a mile around the neighborhood. We'd play soccer in the backyard. We would do things like that to just get them out of, out of, uh, or get them off their screens and help them transition into the evening and also give me an opportunity to move and do something with them. And then we'd go into, go into dinner and, Amy would get home and then we kind of, you know, have our evening, normal evening routine with her. And so, you know, nothing massive, but I wanted to maintain that structure in a way that 
didn't get so off that I was completely, you know, upside down. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. So where are you now? I mean, like, uh, if this, we've kind of covered a lot of what you've unpacked, but I'm just curious what you would go back and say to yourself if you had a conversation with September, Chris, like beyond some of the epiphanies, et cetera, but like, what, is there anything you would like go back and tell yourself before you went into this experiment? <laughs> or I don't know if you'd call it an experiment. Yeah. Would you? I mean, it's a sabbatical. Uh, I mean, it was an experiment in a sense. I mean, you know, part of me didn't know at the time if that's what I needed. You know, that was even a question for me going into it. I felt in my gut that I needed to take this break, but I also didn't know if it would work, you know? And so there was a little bit of fear going into it. And the first week, honestly, I, I've, I've, I felt sort of existential dread, <laughs> you know, worried about how I successfully handed everything off and also concerned that, you know, this was going to be the right thing. And so if I were to go back and talk to my September, Chris, I would say, do it. You should have done it before and it's going to work and not work in a sense that, you know, like I said, there will be no grand epiphany or I'm not going to suddenly come back with just, all this amazing energy and just be able to go exactly back into what I was doing and have everything be okay. Because there are definitely some things that I learned that I need to change so that I don't let myself get to that place again. But I would reassure that Chris that it's the right call. And I would also tell him as I tried to do throughout, just to trust his instincts related to the time with faith that you're going to, find the things that you need to find. And, and I feel like that ended up being true. You know, like I, I wasn't super rigorous about my time and, you know, even listening to all the things that I did and reading the books about burnout, I realized that, you know, yes, there were things that I said to take from that, but at, at the same time, it would be my own journey and I had to be true to that. And so, you know, that's the path that I navigated. And ultimately I'm in this place now where I know I love what I do. I'm excited about it. I'm really excited to be back to engage with our community and to coach. And I also know that there's some things that I need to do a little bit differently so that I don't get to this place again. And, you know, is it going to be perfect and I'm rainbows and sunshine and unicorns every day? No, I know that. But I also know a few more things about how to, to keep it sustainable, I believe. And, and I'm just excited to pursue some of the ideas that I kind of came across during the time. Well, I can't wait to learn those ideas. And again, <laughs> I said it earlier, but I can sense your excitement and passion. So tell us what this, it's a new year. It's 2021. What does this, what does this mean for 2021? And I'd love to hear it from the perspective of, you know, Chris, the person, but Chris, the coach, Chris, the runner, Chris, the community leader, I'm curious, like, yeah, well, first I, I think it's only fair to unpack and put a little bit of a bow on some of the things that I did learn mm -hmm. during the time that, you know, maybe we've talked about already, maybe we haven't, but you know, for me, and again, everybody's different, right? I think one of the things that's, that couldn't be more true about burnout just like anything else is that it's a personal journey. And if you're feeling it, then you're going to have a personal path out of it. But, you know, for me, the overarching theme of what I need to do is create space for 
ideas, create space for stress relief, create space for feeling relaxed and and sort of have my catch my breath again. And so that's what I needed to do in order to get to there, you know, was to take this break. And I, and I guess coming out of it, I feel like there are ways that I can create space for that on an ongoing basis. So I don't have to do it in a concentrated two month chunk. And one of the things there that, you know, that I pulled from the book that you've been working through the, the artist way is this idea of the artist outing or break. And I know you're skeptical, but I would, I would put a very loose definition on it in a sense that, you know, it doesn't, and, and to just quickly describe that for people, you know, the book, a book artist way, it's a, basically a process for creative people to continue to be creative and to create content and, or their artistry, whether that be writing or painting or writing scripts or whatever it may be. It creates a process around creativity that, that allows you to really create space for creativity. And there's two fundamental parts of that. One is the artist pages, which are three stream of conscious pages every day that don't have to have any purpose or meaning, but are just meant to clear the mind. And then these artist outings that you do typically weekly by yourself to explore something of interest. And so for me, my kind of version of that is to, to either watch or read or create time for doing something that is unique, different, that is that does spark my curiosity that I think for me particularly isn't necessarily in my realm of expertise. Like I think I need to create regular space for that in my world so that I can tap into intellectual curiosity and those ideas that might ultimately come in an indirect way. So that's something that, you know, I'm not going to change. Another lesson that I learned is that I do think the digital detox, I, as I said, I got off Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and I just reloaded the apps today. So I'm back. But you know, one thing I did learn is that I did that, but I I know that I don't want to do that permanently because it disconnects you in a way that I don't think is that fun. But but it did create space for me in a as well, and and it made me realize that I had developed an, a mental dependence on those apps when I was bored or didn't have anything going on in my mind or maybe wasn't doing anything where I would just instinctively click into Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and just start reading whatever was there, basically getting spoon-fed content that isn't necessarily following my intellectual curiosity, but is following an algorithm. And while I'm not permanently off of them, and I do think there's a place for that in our world, it was good to get away because it reminded me that one, the sky isn't falling because <laughs> there's so much negativity out there. But also, too, it kind of created that space for me to, you know, just to start thinking new thoughts and and I needed that. And so I'm back to it, but I'm going to try to be less addicted to it after my two-month break. The And then the last thing I'd say for me is that this idea of creating space also means saying no to some things. And I'm, I'm 
sometimes one, especially if I'm excited about an idea to always say yes. And so I think sometimes I filled my plate in ways that were too much and overwhelming, but also just learning to delegate. And part of this process for me through with Rogue was to offload everything that I was doing so that I can reconstruct what I'm doing on the other side in a way that's hopefully more sustainable. And I'm giving myself time in January to reassimilate back into the community and into Rogue and into the things that I do every day so that I can reconstruct a more sustainable ongoing role for me so that I don't end up in the same spot, you know, in a year, two years, five years, 10 years. And for me, that means delegating, delegating some and letting go of some things that for whatever reason I've struggled hanging on to as a self-reliant person. So those are some other takeaways for me that I carry into 2020 because each of those kind of has a little bit of a to-do list to it. And I do think there's always space for a periodic digital detox, by the way. So I'll probably be using that periodically, just getting off altogether for, for a period of time here and there. But, but otherwise, I'm excited about 2021. And while it's still not normal and may not be for a while, I think there are things that we can get excited about in this new year from a training perspective. And so would love to dig into that. Yeah. By the way, I love that you picked up Artist Way. Um, I, a birdie had told me that hmm. you had thumbed through it one day, but I didn't know if you had like put a little time and attention to it. So I love that you embrace that. Um, I'm in week nine of it personally. So it's I highly been- recommend it. It's really good stuff. And it's a little bit woo-woo too. There are elements of that, but I think they, she does a good job at the beginning of disarming people as it relates to those components by kind of under, helping you understand why she went that way in, in some elements. But I think it's a really good for not just for creative people, but for anybody who who wants to bring new productive thoughts into any pursuit, whether that be a creative one or just in your career or wherever it may be. And so highly recommend The Artist Way. It's good stuff. What Actually, before we go into that, I mean, what have you learned from The Artist Way? Um, well, you were just touching on it. Like it's it to me, I don't know if I will come out of this experimental process with, um, art in an art form as we traditionally know it. So I will say that I think that, um, there's a lot of pressure when you first pick it up to think I'm going to like paint or, uh, play music or sing or draw just like the fine arts, right? We, we think that that's going to be the outcome, but what it's done and you just touched on, it's a lot about unblocking yourself and getting into why you might've put barriers on taking steps towards any form of vulnerability that could unlock your next potential. So for me, I actually find it uh, more applicable within uh, coaching and within business. Um, So I left the company that I was at. And as I'm reaching out and having conversations with uh, new companies, I find that it's shaping the way I have conversations with people. Um, And just this openness to honestly, like be a, a problem solver of sorts or see angles that I otherwise wouldn't see. I know I'm speaking about this very generally because the specifics are you know, my own, and I'm still in week nine of it. But to me, it's breaking down. And we touched on it when you got into a little bit on the the Taylor Swift piece, but 
I, I worked at a data-driven company. Uh, we're always like, that's the new term in business everywhere. It's like data, 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 data. Um, but a lot of times we don't know what data we need. We don't know how to parse through the data. We don't know which data is most valuable. So like, yes, we need data in our world to make better, more informed decisions. But in our effort to move towards that strategically, I think that a lot of people, myself included, are losing touch a little bit with intuition and instinct. And that almost scares me. And it's like, I want, like, I, I'm using the artist's way to sort of reopen up like intuition, instinct, where those go hand in hand, where does, where does head and heart come together? Not all head or not all heart, not just all passion uh, and throw, um, you know, caution to the wind. No, that's not good. But neither is it just to be a walking, talking, neither is it good to be a walking, talking spreadsheet. And so um, I think that as I've gotten older and tried really hard to be strategic and figure out things in my head, I've got to move out of conceptual and into like organic practice. Like, I, like my lifestyle has to catch up to things that I'm reading. And this book is sort of forcing me to do it. Like I had a, a conversation with a friend today about why I'm resisting doing a collage where I'm supposed to cut pictures out of a magazine and <laughs> glue it to a poster board. Um, and she just made a strong um, case about like part of that James is you getting over yourself um, like going through the action not not just trying to conceptualize it saying like oh, I see where the art the author is trying to get me to move to, to conceptually so now that I understand it conceptually I've got it and I can move on that, that that's a dangerous practice to just educate the head I think Einstein said if we educate the head not just the heart we failed or that you know I'm not going to try to quote him perfectly here but it's like that resonates with me. And I think she's this author, uh, Julia Cameron is moving me into a space where it's like my organic practice. Um, you know, the, the part of me that wants to be this conceptual guy that has it all figured out is now able to say, I don't. <laughs> and I move through these like baby step practices where it's like, I nurture myself along and I'm able to like take risks that I otherwise wouldn't take and maybe be wrong about things because I'm like, experiencing it. it to me that's like living it's like it's inviting me back to live instead of just trying to be strategic and in my head all the time yeah and the other thing is i mean the best ideas that anyone has typically come when you least expect it right it's it's the moment in the shower it's the time after i watched that taylor swift documentary where i literally couldn't sleep i probably went to bed at 2 a.m that morning because it had sparked this idea in me that I couldn't, that I had, that just came out of nowhere that I couldn't let go. <laughs> I had to flesh out in more detail in my brain so that I could fall asleep. And I didn't set out to have a big epiphany watching the Taylor Swift documentary mm -hmm. or, or whatever it may be. It's, it's basically creating space for those epiphanies, those aha moments, those insights that wouldn't come otherwise that you can't plan for, but that the only way to tee them up is to essentially do things that are basically a little bit out of normal, right? It's the collage. It's the watching a Taylor Swift documentary. You just never know where they're going to come. And, and unless you have space for that, then they may not come. And I think a lot of 
the challenges with our world is that we get in like we get in this closed space that doesn't allow us to think beyond you're you're kind of hitting on something like there's two layers so one is the getting over like you, you had to get over yourself in order to watch a taylor swift <laughs> documentary right because that's not like cool broy, right <laughs> so um and the same with me like i have to get over myself in order to like get some glue and go to a thrift store and buy so i don't even own magazines like i was like <laughs> those are a waste of space like it's gonna it's coming against my minimalist perspectives and i'm like all right so but anyway i gotta get over myself right and like go through the act of doing it not just the concept but another one is being open to, so I'm, I'm really jazzed about this and I'm taking it from a guy, Chris Bush, I believe is his name. Um, but he talks about, he, he wrote a book on serendipity and he talks about like creating luck for yourself and creating serendipitous moments for yourself. And I was really challenged. And I think the artist way is, is going on the same concept and it's really striking like who I am at my core. And I'm really feeling encouraged by this outlook, but we have a tendency to believe that the improbable will happen when it comes to something bad. So if you're someone who locks your door, when you leave your house, then you believe in this. And if you're someone who locks your car, when you get out of it and you're at like a public uh, setting, then you believe that like the improbable could happen, but improbable bad. That's why you lock up your car. And that's why you lock up your house. And if you lock up your cell phone, you have a, a code on it because you're like, there's that small chance that someone could get into my phone and maybe even get into a bank account, et cetera. So we have passwords. Anyone who uses a password of any sort or a lock of any sort believes that the improbable could happen and no one will call you a crazy person and no one will call you cuckoo or weird if you expect the improbable that is defined as bad to happen. They would call you a wise person. They'd say like, you are so wise to lock up all your stuff because you never know if someone could steal it. But why are we cuckoo and why are we weirdos and why are we freaks if we bring that same outlook to the good, the improbable good possibly occurring in our life? Like, why, why is that so unacceptable socially to say like, you know what, like today, I don't know what will happen, but there's a small chance like I don't know. Like, I don't know how to predict it. Right. I don't know if $20 is going to like appear on the ground when I'm walking by it, or you might meet the love of your life when you were en route to a business trip, or, uh, you come up, you're, you're, you're hanging out with a person that you run with, but they end up knowing a CEO of a company that you work at. Like, why are we so open to the improbable that is bad, but, but not open to the improbable that is good or that could enrich our life. And we had no control over it. I would say that the artist's way is, is opening me up to that. Um, and while I quoted a different author, um, I would say that is the spirit of Julia Cameron. She's trying to unblock people because over time, and it goes back to Ted Lasso, the hope that kills. Like we don't want to have hope that something good could happen because we just don't want to get, um, uh, our hopes up and then get hurt. Um, and I would say she helps unblock artists or unblock humans um, and be a little bit more open to, to some good happening in our life or something beyond our own strategic calculated brain coming up with the answer all the time. And again, I will admit like it's a vulnerable way to operate. Um, but I'm trying, I'm telling, I'm nine weeks in, so I'm still processing myself as well. But to your original question, that's what's waking yeah. up inside. That's good. It applies to running too, because I know that so many times going into races, people think about 
the what if negative instead of the what if positive. You know, what if I don't get my goal? What if it hurts too bad? What if I want to quit? What if this happens in mile 10? What if this happens in mile 20? I mean, all of those things run through our head, but very rarely do spend more more time on the what if I get my goal? What if I cross the line with victory in hand? What if I smash my goal? What if I feel amazing when I'm supposed to hurt? And so that's a good lesson for running as well. But yeah, let's dig into 2021. Want to leave you some th- with some thoughts and takeaways. And thank you for for you, James, asking the questions and also for the audience for letting me share a little bit about my experience over the last couple of months. I hope I didn't bore anyone and that there was a little bit of insight there for you. As it relates to 2021, though, I don't think we can really talk about this without talking about what we think might happen, James. Like, what is this going to look like? When are we going to have quote unquote normal races again? And, and I, I don't think we know. So, you know, that's sad, but at the same time, I do think that we can start to potentially predict the future a little bit. And that's encouraging as hopefully the vaccine continues its rollout across the U S at least. And I know it's getting its way into other countries as well. But I think it's unrealistic to believe that anything in the first half of the year will be normal. And so I think it's probably more of the same as what you can expect over the first six months in the sense that you're going to have a lot of virtual races still. You're going to have some smaller, perhaps local races that are able to happen under tight controlled conditions. And then I think as we've seen, you know, the trails have opened up a little bit in a sense that we've had some trail races that can happen because they're again smaller and can happen perhaps with more distance involved. And so those are the things that we've been able to do perhaps at the end of this year that I think we'll probably also be able to do in the first 6 months of 2021 and if you're trying to match your goals up that's probably, you know, what you should look to have goals around in the first half of the year. And in the second half of the year, particularly the latter half of the second half of the year last quarter, I do think potentially if the vaccine can roll out as it as we expect that we'll be able to get back to quote unquote more normal races perhaps with a requirement that you've had a vaccine in order to participate as normal and so i think if you are doing planning for some more traditional racing then you should focus that planning on the latter half of the year probably between september and december of 2021 where i think potentially our first at least in the us bigger marathons might be able to happen. Again, those are my thoughts, my views as I look into the crystal ball. But again, we won't know until we start to step into it. What do you think about that, James? Um, I agree. And you know, what's interesting is this, this was almost heavy when it hit me on one, one, but um, I, I don't even want to call it heavy. I don't even want to qualify it really as good or bad. It's just more of a, an adult like outlook and that I was like, I was so excited for to turn the corner for 2021. And then I was like, now that it's here, I'm glad it's here. But guess what? Our, we can't bitch about 2020 anymore. <laughs> we, our our, our uh, sort of like our blame card was taken away. So you said, you know, like we can't be a victim earlier at one point. It's like, yeah, we, like, I feel like, you know, we can no longer be a victim to 2020 because anything that went wrong in the final nine months of 2020, we could be like, uh, more of 2020, you know, <laughs> right. but now it's sort of like, all right, 2021, 
I don't love virtual racing, but I want to race. So am I going to sign up for one or not? Um, yeah. But I think you're right on the prediction. It's like for the first six months, it's probably going to feel a lot more like the last six months. Um, but there's a reason to, you know, there's a reason to be hopeful. Like there, I, I do think we're, we're on the right track and we've at the same time, simultaneously, simultaneously lost our scapegoat. Like, yeah, it's like, Hey, this is the new normal uh, while we're slowly moving back to the old normal. Yep. Yeah. And for me, you know, with that in mind for the first half of the year, you know, to me again, I kind of go back to some of the principles that I talked about in my time off, which is one, get back to the basics, think about first principles and two, you know, navigate towards those things that are exciting and motivating to you because you're going to need that (laughs) to, to be sustained. I mean, you know, we've all had our ups and downs through this process. You know, if you're like, some people are like me and they went out hard <laughs> at the beginning of the pandemic. Like I, I raced seven virtual races in three months, you know, right out of the gate and was running like all kinds of crazy miles, pretty much saying yes to every convoluted crazy run I could. And ultimately that caught up with me, <laughs> which resulted in you know, three or four months essentially off of training. And now I'm trying to rebuild again, but there are others that maybe struggled early on and then found some motivation and then are maybe now just starting to kind of catch their stride and, and feeling like they've been cranking towards the end of the year. And, and yet there's still more that maybe haven't been motivated this entire time and are struggling just to get that first kind of initial push going. and maybe starting a new year fresh, wanting to take those steps towards regaining some sort of routine and goal. And so as a part of, you know, wherever you may be in this process, I think the same two things apply. Back to the basics, first principles, as well as, you know, gravitate towards those things that are motivating to you. And if, if a virtual race is motivating, go do that. If it's not, seek something else. Personally, for me, I think I got a little burned out on the virtual racing. And so I'm starting to think about, you know, what are some other ways that I could find goals in the early part of this year to get me excited, potentially doing some things on the trail. And everybody's going to have a different version of that. And so I would encourage you to just stick with that idea in mind, just gravitate towards those things that are exciting. If you need to mix it up, mix it up in ways that you can. And of course, as always, don't forget about first principles, remembering why you do this in the first place, and also just remembering that consistency is king. Small victories is what we're after every single day. And, you know, sometimes that means just getting out for a run and covering four or five miles and making it feel as good as you can. And sometimes that might mean doing more and doing a hard workout and, and whatever that may look like, given wherever you are in training, but no one day is going to make or break. It's all about that long-term journey. So those are two initial thoughts I would have about how do we think about 2021. Yeah, I like it. I've always been an advocate that consistency trumps intensity. And it just seems, especially now, like, especially when our mindset is sort of fragile as we have been locked up, et cetera. Um, it's like, yep, if we can stay consistent and have the routine, then 
if let's say the lights go back on sooner than expected, well then great, because you know, you'll have passion to back up your routine, but without your routine, um, you'll be starting from scratch. So. And I think for some people, you know, as it relates to, you know, both things, right. It's like, it's hard to be consistent if you're not excited. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and sometimes it's hard to find motivation when you're not consistent, right? Sometimes the consistency is what keeps you going. And so those two things are related. And for me, I remember when I was first returning to rebuilding my mileage, I remember thinking, man, how how did I ever go out and run eight to 10 miles every single day, essentially of the week, you know, or six days a week anyway, because I was struggling just to be motivated to do four or five. And there were some times where I just had to go out and do it. And then that act of just doing it bred (laughs) a recognition that I could do more and wanting to do more. And then it kind of cultivated in me this fire again that has me now happily building miles again in, in 2021. So, you know, the two things are related, but if you're struggling with putting those two things together, then sometimes finding something new and different is what you need. So one of the ideas I've been toying with, which I guess is kind of a virtual race, but a goal that I've been toying with for myself potentially for the early part of this year is, is training to try to break 60 seconds in the 400. Wow. Which I've done, or at least I've run 60 seconds for the 400 twice in my life. Both of them, I was much younger. (laughs) And now I still believe I have that speed in me, but I just haven't cultivated it in a long time. And I'm not saying it's my goal, but it's been something that's kind of been turning in my head. It was like, what if I trained to run 60 seconds or better for the 400 again? Because I believe it's possible. And it would also require me to have to do some new things with my training that would be fun and different. That would breed motivation and consistency. That would spark a fire that might then fuel that next goal. And so that might be what it looks like for me and everybody. It's going to be something different. But if that's if you're if you're struggling with motivation, just think of something new. Like start to think outside the box a little bit, because I think too often we get in this, especially as distance runners, half marathoners, marathoners, we get in this rut of thinking that our goals have to come in the form of a time goal associated with a 10k half marathon or marathon, and that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. I would also say, you know, uh, take baby, like baby steps too are huge. Like sometimes it's like the idealistic, it's the idea of the marathon that prevents you from not running three, three miles, but it's like coax yourself along to even just put on your shoes and then put on your running clothes and then just get out the door and tell yourself you'll even like, you can do walk breaks, et cetera. Cause often you might find that it's in motion or even you in route to the track, maybe this 60 second, uh, 400 goal gets you to the track two, three times, but then eventually you're just like, you know what, I'm going to go back to doing track workouts for the half marathon. But if it, if that's what it took, it took a little bit of a distraction, um, a a new excitement, or what I'm trying to add here is just that coaxing along in those baby steps, um, whatever it takes to keep you in motion. I think that's, what's key. Yes. Agree with that. The last thing I would have for 2021, because I think we all need a little bit of this on the backs of a very, siloed and often lonely 2020 is do what you can to connect with community. 
And I'm not talking about Zoom. <laughs> talking about in-person opportunities to connect with people. And I know that there are parameters under which we have to operate as it relates to that. Personally, all of my research tells us, tells me that outdoor dynamic activity is the safest way to interact with people, period, the end. So running next to somebody is probably the safest way you can have a conversation with them in 2020, given what we know about how the virus virus transmits. And while nothing is risk-free, that may be one of the safest ways you can interact with somebody is running next to them for any length of distance, regardless of whether they have the virus or not. And so if you have the opportunity and even if it has to be in small ways, I would encourage you to go find ways to see people via the run. And I think that connection also builds motivation and breeds fire inside, but also allows you to share it with somebody else. And that's ultimately, in addition to personal life change, community and and connection through life change is is how you then take that concept and magnify it you know exponentially and so i would encourage you to do what you can to safely connect with people in this new year not through zoom <laughs> but by being able to look them in the eye and feel their energy I'm going to put a big fat amen on that. Um, <laughs> I relate to it so much because I've been out in Boise. It's been, for me, it feels like eternity, but it's been 90 days actually. So I've actually learned to like stop being so hard on myself. Uh, but it's like in those 90 days, at first I didn't join up with any running groups. I came here. I was like, I'm practicing building this muscle of being alone and I'm going to do it. And I was committed to that, but I found a run the Boise area runners. And one, it's been life-changing for me. <laughs> I already knew this, but it was like, I learned it again. I need and love humans. I just absolutely, I am other oriented. Every skill I have is other oriented. Um, I'm made for people, but two, you also never know. I watched someone recently after a run uh, say that was a really great run. Thank you so much as they walked away and they were like beaming with a smile. And I found it interesting because I was struggling with the conversation a little bit during the run. And so what I did was I quickly stopped the brain pattern and said, ask about them, ask about them, be, be curious, be curious, be curious. That was my only mantra going through that run. And it, my, my outlook, when they thanked me for the run and walked away, it was sort of like, a, oh, today wasn't necessarily about me. I, I, I first started showing up thinking like, I need this, I need this, I need this. But the point I'm trying to make here is you never know. Um, so I, I'm saying this maybe for some of the introverted runners who may not necessarily need it, like I need it, like I need community. So I'm like, I gotta go. But you never know when you might be the person someone else needs. And so that's the stamp I'm trying to put on this. And I, I got that from that run recently. It was an epiphany. I wrote about it, um, but it was like, yeah, I think this person needed to unload their story. And it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like uh, anything that met any needs for me. It was just like, wow, they need to un unload their story. And I think it had a huge impact on them that day because uh, they thanked me more than once. So I'm like, I'm just adding there, you never know, like if you're the person that someone else needs in that community. So if you can get over those, uh, you know, barriers, I'm with you. Outdoor dynamic is, I feel incredibly safe, but if someone's still a little bit timid, I hope they will consider that and get out there and be part of the community. 
So I'll say amen to that, and we will wrap this episode. It is so great to be back. So great to be chatting with you, James. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks to all of you for listening, and also, of course, to Jen and Ruth, who held you over while I was gone with those great interviews that they did with all of those inspiring women. I'm excited to be back, excited to be releasing weekly episodes again. So we'll wrap it here. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next week, we'll talk to you soon.